Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Harlan Cohen podcast. I'm Harlan Cohen and you are you. And I'm so excited and so grateful that I get to spend this time with you. Today, I've got a special episode. It's called 15 Things Parents of First Year College Students Should Never Do. And I want you to know you're the most loving, the most caring, the most amazing parents in the world. I'm actually almost one of you. I'm almost a college parent. So I'm just channeling. But I, I've been doing this for years. And the more the more loving someone can be, the uh, more challenging it can be to separate yourself from the loving piece to the, I'm going to let you get uncomfortable and work through this. So I think these rules are going to help you to kind of loosen the grip. The way I like to put it is you're not letting go. You're just loosening the grip because unlike when I went to school and had to plan when I would talk to my parents, especially planning after eight o'clock when long distance rates were lower, planning which phone booth I should talk to my parents from, <laughs> like totally dating myself. Or if I was calling from my room, making sure that there wasn't anyone around that could listen to me because we were attached to a wall. We had a cord. We couldn't just go anywhere. And, and my parents couldn't see me. They couldn't look at me. They couldn't watch me cry. They couldn't hear me. Uh, well, they could hear me, but they, they couldn't really see the full effect, the full production. And uh, you all get the full production now. And it is hard and it is difficult. And I'm excited to share with you the 15 things that can help you. This is actually originally published in the Huffington Post years ago. Remember HuffPost? And this this went viral. I think it went viral. I'll just say it went viral. And people really enjoyed it. And I wanted to bring this back to you with some updated facts and tips and statistics. Before we get into it, this episode is sponsored by Best First Year. Best First Year is a college coaching program for students and for families. I'm your coach, America's college success coach, and I'm with you in the fall every single week, helping to support you to answer questions. I got set materials. I open this up for questions. I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. You can check all this out on my website, harlancone.com, and you can look for Best First Year. All right. Let's get into the 15 things parents of college students should never do. Oh, wait, I've got something else I need to share with you. So I have been listening to an audiobook, and it's basically a book. It's called Never Enough, and this is by Jennifer Rahaney Wallace. And I cannot recommend Never Enough. Let me give you the rest of the title, When Achievement Culture Becomes Toxic and What We Can Do About It. This is one of the best books I have read, and I listen to it on Audible, and she reads it. So I say read, and if you have a problem with me listening to an audiobook and saying I read it, I'll talk to you more about that another time. I actually talked to my my um, uncle, who's a psychologist, because I felt really bad that I'm an author who struggles reading, but I listen to audiobooks. And he's like, you're reading the book. You're getting the materials. It just doesn't matter. Anyway, Never Enough is so fantastic because it talks about the risks that so many students from communities where they have resources are susceptible to. And so much of this is parents having expectations and their kids having to meet parents' expectations. But when you're a teenager, it's so uncomfortable, it's so difficult, you have your own expectations. And if you don't meet your parents' expectations, which are oftentimes grounded in uh, false narratives and cognitive distortions, because where you go to college is not the most important part of of college. It's what you do. There's research. Uh, I've interviewed Denise Pope from Challenge Success. We know through Frank Bruni's book, 
where you go is not who you are. Uh, is that it? Where you go is not who you'll be. I think that's what it is. It's one of the two, doesn't it? Frank Bruni, New York Times columnist. This is the this is the facts. All right, these are the facts that you where you go is not the most important piece. It's what you do. And parents who can recognize this are really going to relieve a lot of anxiety and uh, they can allow their kids to decompress. Uh, and personally, if a student doesn't have an opportunity to fail and struggle and work through their problems while they are at home, well, how how does anyone expect them to do this when they're not no longer at home, when they're across the country? I say, let them struggle down the hall so they can learn how to struggle across the country because right now on my social media, I am getting so many messages from so many students who are lonely, from so many parents who don't know what to do and how to help their students. So these 15 things are going to help you. They also speak to Never Enough. And uh, Jennifer Brahaney Wallace, author of Never Enough, When Achievement Culture Becomes Toxic and What We Can Do About It, has been kind enough to agree to being a guest on the podcast. So I'm pretty excited. I'm actually super excited. I'm going to get through the book first before I have her on because Oh, it's so good. I'm ordering a paper, like a hard copy of it too, because there's just so many good facts and stats. All right, let's get into 15 things parents of first-year college students should never do. I'm actually going to get into it, all right? I'm telling you the truth. We're starting right now. Number one, this is especially important for those who drop their kids off. It's a little late in the year when you're listening to this. If you're listening to this in the summer before college, number one is really important. But I think it speaks to a bigger issue, and it's your emotions. So number one is do not get carried away in hysterics. No one wants to be the freshman of the parent who literally couldn't let go, fell or hit her head or got carried away in an ambulance. On the other hand, hiding your feelings makes you come off as cold and uncaring. Find a middle ground, a few tears, no sobbing on the ground, and get out, run fast. But this idea of your emotions, this is what this speaks to. How important are your emotions when your student is going through all of these changes? And my answer is not as important as your kids. Your kids' emotions belong to them, and they don't need to carry yours along. I have a real reaction when, when people are like, when you don't call me, it makes me feel so bad. Or when you don't hug grandma or grandpa, it makes them feel bad. I'm like, Grandma and grandpa, get over it, right? You're an adult. You're in charge of your emotions. And I think for parents, it's really easy to guilt or shame. But I, I know that there are so many things students are going through. And one of the, the challenges is for a lot of you, your kids have been in your corner. I talk about who are the people in your corner. And for your kids, I encourage them to have five people in their corner who are on campus, people who they can lean on, who they can who they can ask for help, who will support them. And for many of you, your kids have been in your corner. You know, you've used them as a sounding board and you've been through a lot. And it's wonderful that you have these amazing humans in your corner. But when they're going through these changes and challenges, it's really important to make sure you have other people in your corner. There will be a time in your life where your kid could be in your corner, where you can lean on them and depend on them for certain things. But when they're in the midst of dramatic change, that is the time where a parent really needs to ease off and give their kids permission to just be where they are and find other people. This is why I have a therapist. This is why I talk to family. This is why I journal because I don't want to put my emotions onto anyone else, especially when they're dealing with so much change. So understanding it's normal to feel emotional, but it's really important for you to have an outlet so that you have other people in your corner. 
All right. Number two, no wake up calls. There are parents who call and wake up their kids every day and they pretend it's about their kid. But we know it's about you. It's totally about you because you want to know your kid is up and out and starting their day. So let's not pretend it's totally about you. If they can't get themselves up, they got a bigger problem. I don't I don't like wake up calls. Listen. Some of you, you got extenuating circumstances. You have a kid who really needs you because they can't do these things on their own. Extreme situations. But otherwise, a wake up call when a kid's in college, I just don't see it. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's an excuse for you to want to make sure your kid's okay. And this also speaks to those tracking devices. I had a whole conversation, a whole Q&A about Life360, some of the other tracking uh, apps. One mom wrote to me that she's addicted to watching her child on these apps. And my answer to her is then don't use the app. These apps are for safety. They're not for gotcha, caught They're not to monitor behavior, make sure kids are home at certain times. They need to manage this. I see it simply as safety. And if there's an emergency, how can you get a hold of your kid? It's nice to be able to have that, but I would use it and not abuse it. The real, the real abusers are your kids tracking you because when you don't pick up, they're like, why aren't you picking up? I see you're at the grocery store. You, you can't pay. You're at Target. Why can't you pick up at Target? Well, Target's I mean, it's very hard to pick up at Target. Tracking is fine, but it's not about gotcha, caught It's about safety. All right. Number three, do not call a teacher. Parent-teacher conferences are over. It's crazy, though. You go from being so involved to being totally cut off. And honestly, I don't think it's fair. It's so abrupt. So many of you who have been enmeshed, intertwined, who have been part of your kid's life, all of a sudden it's like, boom, you're done. No parent-teacher conferences. It is really abrupt. And it's very unfair. But college professors don't want to hear from you. And in fact, there's something called FERPA. I don't know if you're familiar with FERPA. FERPA is the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act, FERPA. We'll include this with the show notes. But FERPA says that if your child is 18, you don't have as many rights when it comes to inspecting their grades, looking at their records, getting access to some of their financial happenings as well. So if you want to pay, if they're like, you want, you need to pay, you need to make sure you have a waiver and have access to be able to pay. But if you call a teacher, then they're going to tell you they they can't share information because of FERPA. They're going to use FERPA. Okay. So don't, don't call. And here's the thing. If you are, if you're someone who feels like you need to call, and the only time would be a medical emergency where your kid's incapacitated and can't make that call themselves. And if you do call, you you can explain that you're aware that this is unusual. And if you're someone who wants to call, and your kid can't advocate, that's a whole other issue. But this is a time where your child needs to advocate. For those of you who have younger kids, this idea of advocating, learning how to advocate early on is so key because college is when they're going to have to say the things they need to communicate. This is why I'm a big fan. I am a, I am a big fan of practicing this in high school. A lot of these things I'm talking about, you can ease into these things as you progress through high school. 
All right, number four, do not cut them off. Threats only work for so long. Then your child will become an adult, keep secrets, avoid you, spend time with the nicer in-laws. If your child is underachieving, misbehaving, or struggling, there's always another issue behind it. Grades are simply a symptom of something else happening. It's your child struggling for whatever reason, escaping, numbing out. There's something. Get mental health or academic support to help fix the problem instead of reacting to the symptom. This idea that if you don't do this or that, I'm not going to pay. Listen, that only works for so long because eventually they're going to say, okay, I'll pay. And then you're no longer someone in their corner. I think it's important to mention the costs if it's important to you. But the idea of leveraging money as a way to get a kid to do certain things is something that can backfire. Again, it's important to mention this is costing a lot. And if you can't go or if there's an issue, let me know because I don't think it's a good idea to continue. That's different than if you don't do this and I'm doing this. The only time I've seen cutting a student off work, and it was a temporary fix, was a parent who couldn't get a hold of their kid to book airline reservations. And the kid was just ignoring the text. And the mom was so, she was so upset that she cut the kid off financially. And the kid instantly called back, <laughs> which is wild, because then they were able to have a healthy conversation and the mom said, why aren't you calling me? And she and, and the student said, I don't see my texts a lot. Send me a message on Snapchat. And then they started to use Snapchat and the parent got instant communication. So it was more about the mode or the medium of connecting. And this is important to also say, what's the best way to connect with you? And listen, I know you're the parent. You shouldn't have to ask. Sometimes it's easier to meet them where they are, where they're hanging out and to get them to change their behaviors, which they should, but they don't always meet you where you are. Number five, do not fix, fix, fix. It's your passion. It's your purpose. You are a pro, but it's no longer your problem. I'm going to repeat that. It's no longer your problem. Their struggles belong to them. Their victories belong to you. Yes, a mom told me this at an event. I thought that was brilliant. But repeat after me. When they call, when they text, when they reach out to you, you ask them the question, what do you think you should do? And you give problems to marinate and you give problems time to marinate at least 24 hours, at least 24 hours. And then you can help them to find their people, to find their places so that they can be much better supported and also be self-advocates. It's incredibly important to let them fix their own problems. Now, a lot of you aren't great at this because problems were looked at as bigger in high school. If you have if you have this problem, it's going to impact you going to college. It's going to impact your future. It's going to impact your life. And now here they are in college. And if they don't learn how to fix their problems, when will they and how will they? And a lot of parents really struggle with this because you're great at doing this. And your kids know that you are great at helping. You want to help. That's what you do. You are helpers and they're going to push you and they're going to ask you. And it's really important for you to be the one to set boundaries because if you don't set boundaries, they're going to push, 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 push. And they're not going to figure out how to do this themselves. An uncomfortable kid is a kid that's learning. An uncomfortable kid is someone who's growing. An uncomfortable kid is, in a, is doing the right things. Like this is part of it. And this is not something that we're good at and a lot of parents struggle with. And this is where I come in 
Because if you look at my social media, uh, it's typically about helping you to get comfortable with an uncomfortable problem, normalizing situations, difficult situations. This particular podcast is all about helping you to get comfortable with the uncomfortable so you have a baseline, so you know what's normal, so that you can be a steady presence. I had a wonderful conversation with Lisa Demore, and Lisa is uh, author of many books, including The Emotional Lives of Teenagers. And Lisa talks about a steady parent is a parent who can help their kid being a steady presence. The most helpful thing you can do is be a steady presence. Because if you're steady and your kid is wobbly, well, they'll be able to see things are going to be okay. But if you're wobbly or more wobbly, well, then you can set them off. And they also won't have anyone to hang on to when things get difficult. This is why it's so important for you to make sure you're, you're supported. You have your community. I'm here for you. I love the community grown and flown. There are so many other smaller communities to support students who are dealing with specific situations. Okay, let's move on to number six. No public humiliation. Beyond your child's, uh, being your child's Facebook friend or Instagram follower or, or having access to their Snapchat private story. Wow, if you have access to their Snapchat private story, you're something. And Twitter or X subscribers are privilege. It's not a right. So being able to follow your kid on social media isn't something that you can claim is a right. And the minute you do, that's when they start to like hide stuff. And if you come across something offensive or alarming or dangerous, have a private conversation, never publicly shame, censor, or parent in front of other people, because I'm telling you, you may get cut off. You don't want to get cut off because it happens. If you see them wearing something that's a little uncomfortable for you, maybe a little bit too something, if you see them uh, participating in a dangerous behavior, you can have a private conversation and you can ask them the question of, hey, I saw this. I was just wondering, um, is everything okay? Some, some to the effect of asking a question rather than giving a directive, rather than 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 telling them they've done something wrong. I'm a big fan of, of being curious. You know, these pictures, these, these messages, they spark curiosity. Also, if possible, try not to say anything because once you say something, they know you're watching. But I love being that fly on the wall. I think it's so helpful for you to see just what is really happening. Where is my kid? What are their experiences? Because when you are a witness to what's happening on social media and what they're putting out there, it gives you a different perspective than what you're typically used to. And I would just be careful in how you use it and how much you talk about it. Of course, if it's an emergency or something that's going to have long-lasting impact, that's a, a different situation. But publicly commenting and humiliating uh, or being uh, a voice, like making your voice heard in public, it is a very delicate process and it can be a little bit of a slippery slope. So do your best to avoid that private conversations and be curious instead of being, oh, this is what uh, someone said, Lisa, uh, um, Jennifer Brahaney. She had a wonderful, uh, a wonderful Instagram talking about a therapist who said, don't be furious, get curious. Don't be furious, get curious. All right. Number seven, no text abuse. Texting abuse is when you send a text message, where's the remote? Eating at your favorite restaurant. <laughs> Server just asked where you are. Missing you. Hot today. Sunscreen? LOL. Boo. Hi. So 
you're a new generation of parent and you have total access to your kid. But having total access means you need to temper this. One suggestion I offer parents when they're starting the school year, when the kids are starting the school year, is to ask them how frequently do you plan on communicating? Rather than you telling them how frequently you plan on communicating and how frequently you require them to respond back to you. By asking them this question, you can gauge just what their expectations are. Because if they're like maybe once a day, once a week, if they're sharing something that's not every day, that's very different than when the school year starts and they're texting you all the time. It's important for them to have that space. And if they don't get back to you, because this is a problem a lot of parents deal with, is the total ghosting. Your kid ghosts you. Well, then you can make it very clear. Hey, you need to at least get back to me once every few days with just the word like alive. I just need to know that you are alive. That's it. And then you go, you can you can leave it at that. Uh, be careful of uh, arranging times to check in too, because sometimes your kid's schedule is so uh, unpredictable and you don't want them missing out interacting or studying or doing something engaging with people on campus because they need to be available to talk to mom or dad. All right. Be careful with your texting abuse. You should keep a list of like where you write stuff. Have new systems. Oh, here's a great idea for you parents. I don't know if you're, uh, if you're um, you know, Apple people, but I have my air tags on my wallet, on my journal. Uh, where else do I put them? I put them on the keys. I put them everywhere. And you know, I use them probably like once a day. I'm embarrassed to say I was recently diagnosed with ADHD. I'm not embarrassed about that, but it makes sense why so a lot of the things I've shared with you make a lot more sense. Even the being an author, I can't tell you how ashamed I was being a New York Times bestselling author. Even saying that makes me like, Ugh, and struggling reading, struggling when it comes to writing and revising my books. I can go through streaks where I can like hyper focus, which is part of being ADHD. But then there are other parts where I really struggle. All right, we are crossing the halfway point here, and I'm happy to get any of your questions. You can send me your questions at Harlan Cohn on Instagram, at Help Me Harlan on TikTok. Also, this is going to be uh, on all, all places where you get podcasts, but it's also going to be on YouTube. You, you could send me questions. You can share your comments. I'm very excited to hear from you because you know so much. You're living it. You're experiencing it, and I am just so grateful that I can be in your corner to help you and to support you along the way. All right, number eight, always blaming the roommate. Do not always blame the roommate. There are two or three or four people, depending on how many people are in that room, that are contributors to whatever's going on. There's your kid's story, there's the other kid's story, and then there's the truth. Your kid might be the roommate from hell. When your kid screams, I hate my roommate, ask your angel three questions. Do you wanna get along? Because the minute a kid doesn't want to get along is when it all ends. And as a parent, you got to chill out, right? Because you're, you're like, yes, that person is, is horrible. They're awful. It's a nightmare. They're the worst. Just take a breath. Take a beat. So you ask them, do you want to get along? Can you just be roommates? Friendship's a bonus. Have you shared what's making you uncomfortable or asked your roommate to share what's making them uncomfortable? All right, let me repeat. Three questions. Do you want to get along? Can you just be roommates, meaning friendship's a bonus? A lot of people require their roommates to be friends. Roommates are just people you share space with to help with the cost of college. All you have to do is coexist. Friendship's a bonus. Have you shared what's making you uncomfortable or asked your roommate to share what's making them uncomfortable? Your child answers no. I got news for you. They might be the roommate from hell.
They just have to coexist. And the key is they have to find other places outside their room where they can be around people and share experiences so they can build friendships. A lot of students are lonely. When they get lonely, they like to blame other people. They like to blame their roommate. They like to blame the school. They like to blame other people who have friends. It's just hard. The first semester, the first quarter can be incredibly lonely and difficult. And a roommate is a great target. The more uncomfortable someone is, the easier it is to blame the people or situation that is closest to them. So you can walk them through this. You can help them. If they have a big situation and they can't advocate for themselves, then they should talk to their RA, their resident assistant. I'm also a huge supporter of students having someone on campus who could be in their corner regarding mental health, a therapist, a counselor, someone that they FaceTime with, if they're using their phones, if that person can practice in a different state. Or going to that counseling center, usually it's included in the cost of tuition and getting that help. Being able to use problems and unmet expectations as an opportunity to talk to people in places where they can find support and get answers. All right, number nine, no surprise visits. No one likes surprise visits. It's fun for you, but not for them. This is their space. Imagine your parents surprising you. Maybe they did that. I don't know. I don't want a surprise visit. Give them a day or two to clean up. Give them at least a few hours before springing an impromptu visit. Let them clean up. Let them ask the overnight guests to leave. Sorry to bring that up. Ask, give them time to fumigate, to just like get the get whatever sense in the room. I'm a big fan if you have a kid who's struggling of having a meal with them, going down for dinner if you can, if possible. But letting them know. It's really helpful to let them know because surprises can be very uncomfortable and the joy of like seeing their face can quickly turn to a disaster if they're not expecting this and they're living their life and have a schedule and feel like they need to be there for you or entertain you in any way. So no surprise visits, all right? With, with I guess the extreme exception if you're a surprise visit family and that's like your thing, you surprise. If you're making a viral video. If you've seen these videos, where it's like a long distance partner and they, I, I think they're fake, but these long distance partners show up and uh, in the background, there's like another person, you know, like they're with, they're, they're cheating and the other person shows up. Um, I, 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 th I imagine some of them are real, but um, some of them are just two stage, but no surprise visits. And we can talk, gosh, there's so much to talk about long distance relationships. Listen, long distance relationships can be healthy and wonderful as long as your kid finds their places, finds their people on campus and can find some balance. Coming home every weekend to be with that significant other, that is not the college experience. That is leaving people behind on the weekends and not and not participating in a lot of the social parts of college that lead to more meaningful connection. I've had these students who will reach out to me and they're like, I'm miserable, I hate it here. I'm like, okay, well, what have you been doing? You know, you go to classes and then they go home every weekend. It's like, you don't feel connected if you're if you're going home every weekend. And if you're going to community college, you need to stay on campus. It's very important to stay on campus because when you're on campus, that's when you make friends and find connections and become part of a community. All right, number 10, do not expect perfection. Your kid has had to be perfect for 18 years. Set them free. Give your child permission to be imperfect. It is a gift. When they struggle, instead of panicking, suggest they find their people and places people who can be in their corner, who can support them, guide them, places where they can sweat, play, pray, live, learn, lead, love, and work. 
Perfection is an unattainable goal. And when a parent is constantly checking in and asking their child about their mistakes and missteps, it's really about a parent being uncomfortable about what's going to happen next. And it sends a really uncomfortable message that I don't think you're going to be okay. Being imperfect is part of being a human being. And when we can embrace imperfect imperfection, it's when we allow our kids to learn and grow. There's a law of nature, which I've referred to many times in many videos, and also in my book, Win or Learn, called the universal rejection truth. And the universal rejection truth says not everyone and everything is always going to respond to us the way we always want. The universal rejection truth of parenting. Kids aren't always going to answer you, respond the way you want. The universal rejection truth of being married. I've been married for over 20 years, and my wife, she rejects me all the time for lots of different reasons, whether it's a thought, idea, something for dinner, parenting choices we make. The universal rejection truth of being a business person, an entrepreneur, being self-employed. You know, the, the universal rejection truth of, of creating a podcast. Some people are going to listen. Some people are not. I am imperfect. I am flawed, deeply flawed. And I am constantly working to be the best version of me. I follow the four agreements. I don't know if you're four agreements people, but I love four agreements. It's a book. It's a, it's a, it's a, a framework for life is number one, don't make assumptions. Oh, number one, be impeccable with your word. Number two, don't take things personally. Number three, do not make assumptions. And number four, be your personal best. And if you, and I might've mixed those up, but if you follow those four agreements, it really helps you to be imperfect and to be the best version of you. And what I've seen so many students struggle doing is allowing themselves to be imperfect, is constantly comparing themselves to everyone else. Social media is basically a reflection of everybody's achievements and 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 their, their headlines of all the wonderful things happening in their life. And it's not an accurate reflection. So if a parent can be cognizant and intentional about embracing imperfection with an understanding, no matter what, you're going to be okay. And this is where you need to recognize it. No matter what, your kid's going to be okay. They are going to be okay. They are. And the more you give them room to be imperfect, the more room they have to learn and grow to figure out how to be okay. Got to read that book, Never Enough. Oh, it's so good because I'm, it's so fresh in my mind, but there are so many aspects of that book and parenting that come into play. Uh, for you parents of younger students, I plead with you, give your kids permission to be imperfect. Allow them to struggle. Let them get a B. Let them get a C. Let them learn. Let them grow. And if it means not going to an ultra competitive bumper sticker school, good. God bless because they'll be in a place where they can be imperfect and grow and be exceptional because it's not where you go to school. It's what you do. I think these elite schools should have 10% of the population that are like 3.0 students because it's those 3.0, 3.5 students with big, strong, passionate interests who have dealt with life, who can teach those other kids who have always been perfectionists and don't know how to struggle, how to deal with difficult situations. They could be in their corner. So many students who get to these places where they've worked so hard to achieve get to a world where they don't know how to be imperfect. And that could be a really painful place where they need to numb out or use unhealthy ways to uh, to cope. So expect imperfection, embrace imperfection, do not expect perfection, especially the first year. Number 11, cure homesickness at home. 66% of first-year students admit feeling homesick or lonely. It's according to the Higher Education Research Institute out of UCLA cure for homesickness is not at home. It's finding your people in places on campus and being patient and appreciating change takes time. Remind them. I'll remind them too. We can keep reminding them. 
If you want to visit your kid, don't surprise them, but visit them, be there with them in their environment, especially if it's a parent's weekend, it's wonderful you to go for you to go there. If it's a non-parent's weekend, go, go at a time. Sometimes that could be even better because you see like them in their natural habitat, having real life experiences. I'm a big fan of that. Homesickness is normal. Having a therapist, having a counselor, having someone in their corner, having reasonable expectations. When students are in high school and they're thinking about colleges, I'm especially thinking about people who are going ED, those early decision students, they don't really understand that the first three months could be really lonely and difficult. They may not have access to the clubs, activities, and organizations that they're, they're going to that school to participate in because sometimes they have to be invited or they have to uh, apply. There, there's a whole process. And there was an article recently uh, about Yale. I forget if it was in the Atlantic or New York Times. But it talked about how these clubs and orgs are just so difficult to get into. And a lot of students end up struggling and they get homesick. And when they get homesick, they need to acknowledge that I'm homesick and they need to find at least one place where they could be appreciated and included, welcomed simply because they exist. And that's where they should go. Spiritual groups, multicultural groups, volunteer groups. And if they can't find one, they should start one. And it's hard and it's uncomfortable, but it's part of the process and it is normal. I also encourage you to check out The Naked Roommate and 107 other issues you might run into in college. That's my book on college life. And it's all designed to help students to prepare, plan, and navigate the change. I also have my coaching uh, program, which is really a way for students every week to have, to have me in their corner. You don't have to be there live. Uh, they could just know that what they're dealing with is normal and it's okay. And it's all part of it. All right. Number 12, do not redecorate too soon. It's awful sleeping in a sewing room. that's used to be your bedroom while home over Thanksgiving. That's what one first year student told me. His mom took over his room the day he left. Give it a good year before throwing out the mattress and moving in the sewing table. It's really nice to have a home base. It's really comforting to move into that space where so much has happened where your identity is tied to all of these different tchotchkes and things that you're surrounded by because there is a lot of love in that room. There's something to be said about that. It's nice for you. I think sometimes parents will change the room because it's just so hard for them that they want to change it. But uh, it's nice to wait. It is nice to wait. And you never know. A lot of students come back. And when they do come back, whether they take a gap year or a break and if you have questions about any of this, I know I'm jumping around here, but I, there's just so much I want to share with you. Students do come back and it's okay. And and when they come back, what happens is they tend to regroup and then college becomes less about what other people want of them. And then they focus on what they want. It's really wonderful. All right. Number 13. I mean, wonderful in the sense of they have the self-awareness where they can figure out what they want. And ultimately, I mean, asking the question, what do I want is something that not a lot of students are great at doing. They're not good at asking the question, what do I want? And actually going after it because their life has been designed not by what do you want? It's more of what everybody else wants. Number 13, wait for them to need help. Do not wait for them to need help. Students who struggled socially, emotionally, physically, financially, and academically in high school may struggle in college. Change can be a trigger. Make sure they get help before they need it. Uh, so many students feel hopeless and depressed. I'm looking at this data here from this orig original HuffPost uh, article, but we know that it's roughly like two thirds of students felt hopeless in the past year. We know a lot of students struggle with depression and it's difficult. Over 32% of college students admitting feeling so depressed, it was difficult to function according to the American College Health Association and CHA data. It's really important for them to identify their people and places so they have a support system. 
There's you, of course, but they need to have those people on campus. They need to have those places where they could be included, where they can find the friendliest people. If a student's dealing with academic issues and they say, oh, mom, dad, I got a, I got my first D, instead of flipping out, be like, hey, this is okay, because you don't really, you're not, a, it's not December. You know, you, that's when students really need help. It's early in the year. It's early. And if it isn't December, you can say it's okay. It's early in your college career. And you want to make sure they get that help. So being proactive for our families of younger students, having a mental health transition plan is, is key, which includes the people on campus and the community who are going to be there for you, places where you could be supported, identifying people on campus who could be in your corner, people who are paid, people who volunteer, people who you ask for help. When I talk to students who are on athletic teams, I really encourage them to find the kindest people. Yes, the ones who are most accomplished and cool are great, but you want to find the kindest people because when you find the kindest people, those people tend to be in your corner. Those people tend to help you. Those people uh, tend to want you to be successful. And I think a lot of students uh, look for the coolest people. Uh, it's also important to have at least two groups of friends, two other places where you can have groups of friends because when you have at least one other place, you have the power to set boundaries. You could say what you think, express how you feel. You don't succumb to peer pressure as easily because you can just like duck out if you don't want to do something. You can say this isn't something you know that I'm into. And if you only have one place to go, then that becomes difficult. But when you have more than one place to go, then you always have options. Students who really, really need help, a lot of times they're at the point where they don't, they don't feel like they have people in places. They feel really isolated, really alone and they don't have a map. Well, the map I'm sharing, what do you want? What makes you uncomfortable? People, places, patience is there for you. That's also in my book, Win or Learn, which is really like the transition framework, transition as in going from one place to another, dealing with change. Uh, I'm going to do a whole podcast on Win or Learn because I just think it is the most helpful thing that I've put out there because it's helped me. I want you to know the stuff I share Sometimes I'm, I'm talking about like, I have these resources and you could take advantage of, of, of them or not. It is, it is, I create them because I want to give you more ways to help yourself and the people you love. And it comes from a place of service above self. And that's really been my, my, my MO. It's service above self and wanting to help you. I hope this has been helpful. Okay. We're getting to the end. We're at 14, then we're 15, and then we're wrapping this up. Number 14, do not be impatient. Google the word patient and you get 514 million results in 0.05 seconds. It's not an exaggeration. Change takes time. The first year of anything can be really hard. The first year in college is the equivalent of being stuck inside a snow globe filled with fecal matter. That's so, I, you know, sometimes I say these things, I'm like, ew. Um, it can be a storm. You know what kind of storm. You must be patient and clear-minded because your college student doesn't know patience yet. And I think this generation, I'm going to do a whole podcast on patience. I'm writing this down because we are in an instant gratification world. And a lot of the parents want things to be fixed right away too. But students, if they send something, if they send a note to someone and, and, and someone reads it and doesn't respond back, that's called being left on read where someone doesn't respond, they're upset by that. They're used to instant feedback, 24-7. It doesn't shut down. It's an entirely different way of processing the world. 
and they don't know how to be patient. So many of them, they struggle because they don't know what to do when they don't have the answer. They don't know how to cope. The only way to practice getting patient or practice patience is to work through the discomfort and to make sure they're supported, to make sure you have your people in places, to recognize what's normal. There was a study out of Indiana University that talked about students who struggle their first year, and a lot of it had to do with uh, students not knowing what was normal. And what helped them through the study was hearing from upperclassmen talking about their experiences, students reflecting, and then coming up with a plan. And that's what I've been doing for all these years. And as a parent, I hope that you'll be able to do this. Also offering times where you were impatient, times where, where you struggled. It is so hard. It's so hard to be a parent. It is so hard to watch your kid in pain. Your stories of how you endured discomfort are so valuable. This could be the time where you share that story maybe you've never shared before because now is the time they really need it. And really, they're, they're pretty much adults. And if you can be honest and vulnerable and talk about how hard things have been in different times of your life, if they want to listen, it will help tremendously. It takes a good year to get comfortable with change. Students need to plan how to fill their time. I call this training spiritually. What can you do that will fill your time that isn't dependent on other people and other things that will give you a sense of joy, will light up your brain, or just help you to find emotional equilibrium, as Lisa Demore shared with me. Emotional equilibrium. I love that. Impatience creates panic. When your student reaches out to you when they're dealing with a problem, apply the 24-hour rule. 24-hour rule says, we're going to give things 24 hours, and then you'll figure out what happens next. I share this as part of my five simple rules for parents, the 24-hour rule. It's so helpful for you. It's so helpful for them. When I'm upset, when I'm emotional, I'll write an email, and I won't do it in my email program because I don't want to send it. I'll do it in like a Google Doc, and then I'll look at it the next day. And I can tell you, never have I sent the same message because time equals clarity. But so many students struggle with this. Give it 24 hours or longer. And the problem will become much more manageable. And number 15, we're at number 15 of the 15 things parents of first-year college students should never do. And never, you know, I hate absolutes. You should try to avoid. We'll make it like that. Number 15, fight the uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable. Fighting the uncomfortable only creates more uncomfortable. Your job is to get comfortable with the uncomfortable first. Then when the unexpected pops up, you can help your child to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Being a parent is the hardest job and the most rewarding job I've ever had. I am like, I just feel so lucky that I get to witness my children's lives. And I feel so blessed that I get to be in so many other students' corners and families' corners. And I get to just witness this all. And the number one challenge that so many of us face is we are not great at dealing with discomfort. A lot of students will medicate, they'll run and hide, they'll hate, attack, they'll hurt themselves, they'll attack other people. They blame you, we're good at getting blamed. Life is uncomfortable. That, that is part of this human experience. 
And when we can recognize that life is uncomfortable and give ourselves permission to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, it all changes. It all changes. Because instead of creating more discomfort, we're able to walk alongside the discomfort. As part of this, the universal rejection truth is fundamental in understanding discomfort. At the root of discomfort is oftentimes rejection. I'm rejecting myself. I'm rejecting reality. Someone else is rejecting me. The world doesn't always give us what we want. The universal rejection truth of living through a pandemic, it was uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable. College, change, transition, it's uncomfortable, especially change. The first part of change can be incredibly difficult. When we look at life, life is bookend by change and transition. Really, when we enter the world, it's a transition, which can be uncomfortable and difficult. When we exit, it's a transition in between a search and selection. Life can be incredibly uncomfortable, but it can also be unbelievably wonderful and exciting and rewarding and just an incredible gift. And if as a parent, you can give your kid permission to be uncomfortable, allow them to work through the discomfort, and at the same time, give yourself room to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, then you can be a steady presence to help them to manage change so that they can get to the places they want to go. That's the greatest gift that we can give them is that room and space to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. One of the greatest gifts we can give them is that space and time to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. I am so grateful that I can be in your corner and share the 15 things parents of first-year students should never do. There's, there's many more, I'm sure. And I'd love to hear from you. Please include some other do's and don'ts that you've experienced. If you're a student, I'd love to hear it. If you're a parent, I'd love to hear it. If you're a grandparent, aunt, uncle, whoever you are who's in your student's corner, please let me know. You can share that on social media. You can share it on the YouTube version of this podcast. You can send me a message. I'm here. Uh, this is the beginning of our relationship if we're just meeting. And if you're familiar with me, we can continue this. I learned from you. I'm so grateful that I could be in your corner and I'm so grateful that you are in mine. This is the Harlan Cone podcast. If you enjoy it, please share it with others. Please subscribe and let me know how I can be of service to help you, to help your family, to just have the, the most wonderful experience. Wonderful. When I say wonderful, it's such a, I don't know, people don't say wonderful a lot. Anyway, let me just wrap this up. I'm Harlan. Till next time. Grateful to be with you and we'll continue the conversation. Thanks everyone.